Crime Happens contains coarse language, adult themes, and content of a violent and disturbing nature. It is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Hi everyone, welcome to Crime Happens, where we uncover the evil that surrounds us. I'm your host, Chris. When I first stumbled across this case, I couldn't believe it. It's such a bizarre coincidence and a parent's worst nightmare. Times two. On October 12th, 1999, little 10-year-old Pamela Butler was rollerblading on a street near her home in Kansas City, Kansas. Without a care in the world, she had just bought some cookies and was having a great time. Her sister Penny was with her and she was watching Pamela skate. But she wasn't the only one watching Pamela. The girls didn't notice the man parked nearby in a white pickup truck who was also watching Pamela until it was too late. On September 29, 1999, Keith D. Nelson pulled into the parking lot of the A1 Staffing Agency. A1 Staffing is a temporary service in Kansas City, Kansas. He spotted a guy in the parking lot and approached him. Nelson asked the guy if he would be interested in a job hauling cement out of a basement. The guy's name was James Robinson, and he replied, sure, he would definitely be interested. So Robinson climbed into Nelson's white Ford F-150 pickup truck, and Nelson drove off. When they arrived at the job site, Nelson began making small talk with Robinson. These two guys had never met before, so it's just weird how Nelson begins telling this complete stranger that he wants to kidnap a woman. He tells Robinson that he wants to kidnap her, take her out of the city so he can torture, rape, electrocute, kill, and bury her. Wow, that's some small talk. He goes on to explain to Robinson that he will be going back to prison for some petty crimes anyway, so he might as well go back for something really big. Robinson admitted that Nelson's comments freaked him out. No kidding. He actually thought about contacting the police, but changed his mind. He figured that Nelson's comments were so bizarre, he must have been messing with him. Just three days later, on October 2nd, 1999, Michelle Matson, a young medical student, was attacked outside of her apartment building. Matson was driving home from a friend's house in the early morning when she passed a white pickup truck parked along the side of the road. After she passed the truck, It followed her for some distance into the parking lot of her apartment complex. When she got out of her car, she noticed that a man had gotten out of the white truck. As she got closer to the door to her apartment building, that same man, whom she later identified as Nelson, confronted her on the sidewalk in a well-lit area in front of her building. After a brief exchange, Matson turned to go into the building and Nelson rushed up behind her, grabbed her, and placed an eight-inch knife to her throat. He forced a handcuff onto Matson's left wrist and dragged her through the parking lot toward his truck, telling her that she had better shut up and that he was going to kill her. Matson continued to struggle, eventually escaping Nelson's grasp and calling for help. Nelson ran back to his truck and drove away. How terrifying. This is one close call. Michelle is lucky to be alive. 
On October 12, 1999, 10 days after attacking Mishan Matson, Nelson told an acquaintance that he had spotted a young girl in the Kansas City, Kansas area that he wanted to kidnap, rape, torture, and kill, and that now was the time to do it. Nobody says it, but I can't help but wonder if he chose a young girl after his failed attack on Mishan because he figured she would be easier to control. Not long after making those statements to his acquaintance, several individuals spotted Nelson in the area of 11th and Scott's streets in a white pickup truck. At about the same time, 10-year-old Pamela Butler was rollerblading on the street with an earshot of her house in the same area. She had her sister Penny, who was about the same age, with her. Nelson parked his truck on the side of the street and lay in wait. He had his door slightly ajar so he could act quickly. As Pamela skated near the door of the truck, Nelson quickly opened the door, jumped out of the truck, grabbed her around the waist, and threw her in the truck. Pamela's sister Penny witnessed the whole abduction and saw her sister struggling with Nelson in the cab of the truck. Penny Butler began screaming. Hearing her screams, their older sister Casey Eaton, who was about 16 or 17 at the time, bolted out of the house to see what was going on. She looked to where Penny was pointing and saw a white pickup pulling away. As that pickup drove past the screaming girls, Nelson flipped them off. As Nelson sped past the house, he yelled out the window at Penny and Cassie, you'll never see her again. The girls continued screaming as Cassie chased the truck down the street on foot. The sounds of the screams and the squealing of tires attracted the attention of Paul Wilt, who was sitting in his truck visiting a friend nearby. Wilt gave chase, and while he eventually lost sight of Nelson's truck, he was able to get its license plate number and write it down. It was a Missouri plate number 177CE2. Several other eyewitnesses were able to corroborate the truck's license plate number. Later that evening, the custodian of the Grain Valley Christian Church in Kansas City, Missouri, and his wife saw an unfamiliar white truck with a Missouri license plate number 177CE2 parked in the church parking lot. It seemed out of place, even a little suspicious. The custodian's wife wrote down the plate number and noticed there was an Afghan blanket sitting on the front seat of the truck. They contacted the police after seeing the story about Pamela's kidnapping on the 10 o'clock news. They told police that the white truck was located in Grain Valley Christian Church parking lot, but when the police arrived at the church, the truck was gone. Nelson's truck was found abandoned the next day in Kansas City, Missouri. A police dog that had been provided with some of Pamela's clothing was dispatched to Nelson's mother's house and alerted to an Afghan found inside the residence. That same day, a large manhunt for Nelson got underway. On October 14th, a civilian employee of a police department spotted Nelson hiding under a bridge. After he was spotted, Nelson went into the river and attempted to get away. When he made it back to shore, he was surrounded by railroad workers who detained him until the authorities arrived. After the authorities got there, an onlooker shouted, Where's the little girl? Nelson turned to an officer and stated, I know where she's at, but I'm not saying right now. His capture was broadcast on live television. On October 15, 1999, the day after Nelson's arrest, 
police officers searched the woods and fields east of the Green Valley Church where the church custodians reported seeing Keith Nelson's truck. It was here that the police made a disturbing discovery. Pamela Butler's body was found in a wooded area just behind the church. First, they discovered Pamela Butler's white sports bra and her underwear. Not long after that, they found the 10-year-old's nude, lifeless body buried under a pile of brush. A wire was wrapped tightly around her throat. The discovery of Pamela's body was broadcast on local television, and the United States Attorney held a live press conference from the discovery site. An autopsy was conducted, and the results revealed numerous scrapes, abrasions, and blunt force trauma to Pamela's mouth and head. She had been beaten. Her hymen had been torn near the time of her death. Redness and irritation were present in her genital area, a clear indication that she had been raped. Pamela's official cause of death was strangulation. As part of the investigation, her underwear was sent to the FBI for analysis. The DNA in the seminal fluid obtained from the crotch area of Pamela's underpants matched Nelson's DNA. On October 21, 1999, a federal grand jury charged Nelson with 1. The kidnapping and unlawful interstate transportation of Pamela Butler for the purpose of sexual abuse which resulted in the death of the victim, and 2 traveling across state lines with the intent to engage in a sex act with a female under the age of 12, which resulted in the death of the victim. Initially, Nelson entered a plea of not guilty, but on October 25, 2001, Nelson changed his plea to guilty after he managed to obtain a plea deal. He agreed to plead guilty to count one of the indictment if count two was dropped, and that's exactly what happened. Count two was for traveling across state lines with the intent to engage in sex with a female under the age of 12, which resulted in the death of the victim. Basically, this means that in return for pleading guilty, prosecutors agreed to drop a count alleging that he sexually assaulted the girl. Maybe it's just me, but sometimes it seems that prosecutors make plea deals they don't need to, and I don't understand why. Also, as part of his plea deal and guilty plea, Nelson admitted that he drove Pamela across the state line east into Missouri and then dragged her into a densely wooded area behind the Grain Valley Church where he beat her and strangled her with a speaker wire. Several days later, Nelson tried to kill himself by swallowing a large amount of prescription medicine. There's no documentation stating which medication or how he got a hold of it. He was treated at a local hospital, released, and the case then proceeded on to the penalty phase of the trial in November of 2001. As a result of the penalty phase deliberations, the jury agreed that the death penalty should be awarded. The OC Register reports that, quote, At sentencing, the district court offered the defendant the opportunity to address the court. Nelson showed no remorse for what he had done, blistered the district court and the victim's families with a profanity-laden tirade. Unquote. But the saga continues. 17 years later, on April 19, 2017, while Keith D. Nelson was sitting on death row in a federal prison in Terre Haute, Indiana for murdering 10-year-old Pamela Butler, 
Sherry West lost a second daughter to a violent crime. Sherry West, the mother of Pamela Butler, is living a true nightmare. Late that Wednesday night, Cassie Eaton, Pamela's older sister, was found sitting in her car, parked outside her home, shot to death. She was murdered about a block away from a playground that was dedicated to the memory of her little sister who was murdered 17 years ago in the same area. Cassie had been living in Mound City, Kansas, about 75 miles from where her mother was living in Armordale. About two months prior to being murdered, Cassie decided to move back to Armordale to be closer to her family. She rented a small home and took a job at a local subway, working in the same subway shop with her daughter, Angelica Eaton. Her daughter worked the day shift and Cassie worked the night shift. At the time of her little sister, Pamela's murder, Cassie was a teenager, about 17, and already had one child. At the time of her own murder, Cassie was 34 with four children and one grandchild. About this same time, Cassie began dating a 41-year-old man named Anamencio Lansdowne, and they eventually became engaged. When Lansdowne entered Cassie's life, her family didn't care for him at all. He's described as being 5'9", weighing about 130 pounds with a bald, shaved head and blue eyes. Lansdowne has multiple tattoos, including one with Cassie on the side of his neck and a skull on his upper back. If the Cassie tattoo on the side of his neck is referring to Cassie Eaton, he spelled her name wrong. Her name is spelled C-A-S-E-Y, but it's pronounced C-A-S-S-I-E. According to KSHB, LaShia Union Butler, Cassie's niece, said, quote, The first day I met him, I knew he was a bad person. The way he looked and the way he acted was just not right for my Aunt Cassie. Unquote. Cassie and Lansdowne were only together for a few months, but during that short period of time, her mom confirmed that Cassie was indeed subjected to domestic abuse by Lansdowne. According to online records, at the time Lansdowne was living with Cassie, he was also registered as a sex offender after being convicted of attempted aggravated indecent liberties with a child. The offense took place in 1997, and the victim in that incident was only 14 years old. Lansdowne was also out on bond for leaving the scene of an accident. It's unclear if Cassie and her family knew about his criminal record. On the night she was murdered, Cassie was working at Subway. Her work shift ended at 10 p.m. and she left for home. Just two hours later, she was found shot to death in her car outside her home. According to court testimony, Lansdowne told witnesses that Cassie had shot herself, though he had left the area before police arrived. Witnesses said that Cassie and Lansdowne had only dated for a short time and that Lansdowne was angry because he believed she was seeing other men. Based on those witness statements and Enemencio Lansdowne's criminal history, he was quickly identified as the primary suspect. Two days later, on Friday, the Wyandotte County District Attorney's Office issued an arrest warrant charging Lansdowne with second-degree murder. Authorities caught up to Lansdowne at the home he shared with Cassie on Kansas Avenue in Kansas City. He refused to come out of the house and fired shots at the officers. After a six-and-a-half-hour standoff, Lansdowne finally surrendered. 
He was charged with second-degree murder in the shooting death of Cassie Eaton and criminal possession of a firearm. After Lansdowne's arrest, Sherry West, Cassie Eaton's mom, spoke out. KMBC reports, quote, I was just hoping it was a nightmare and I was going to wake up. I am relieved. I have been stressed. My mind has been lost since I found out she had been murdered. Now that Lansdowne is in custody, West wanted to make it perfectly clear that she will be in that courtroom stating, he will see me. He will see her kids. He will see the pain he has caused our family. Unquote. And Amencio Lansdowne, now 42, pleaded no contest to the charges and was found guilty of voluntary manslaughter in the death of Casey Eaton. Lansdowne was sentenced to 20 years and seven months in prison for the murder of Casey Eaton. He had no comment in court at his sentencing. Lansdowne is currently housed at Kansas Department of Corrections El Dorado Correctional Facility and is scheduled for release on October 21st, 2034. In my opinion, a 20-year sentence just seems much too short for taking a life and for taking it in such a violent manner. And if he gets out early, that will be a real crime. Having a 10-year-old daughter kidnapped and murdered in such a violent manner the way Pamela was would be enough to break any parent. Sherry West didn't break. She endured and fought relentlessly to get justice for Pamela. Before she could complete her task, her oldest daughter, Cassie Eaton, was violently murdered as well. This is the same girl, the same teenager, who ran screaming down the street after the truck that was speeding away with her little sister. Unfucking believable Sherry West was devastated, but not defeated. She continued her fight for justice for both of her daughters with fierce determination. Sherry West has been living a nightmare for over 20 years. Her 10-year-old daughter Pamela Butler was murdered on October 12, 1999 by Keith D. Nelson. Her 34-year-old daughter Cassie Eaton was murdered on April 19, 2017 by Anamencio Lansdowne. But on Friday, August 28, 2020, over 20 years later, Nelson the man who kidnapped and brutally murdered little Pamela became the fifth person to be executed after a 17-year hiatus on federal executions. With all appeal processes exhausted, Keith D. Nelson, 45, was finally scheduled for execution. He didn't make a statement prior to receiving a lethal dose of pentobarbital to stop his heart. CNHI reports the execution began at 4.23 p.m., Media witnesses could see Nelson's sheet-draped body lying on the gurney. His breathing became visibly labored during the process, but he made no movement prior to being pronounced dead at a federal prison in Terre Haute, Indiana at 4.32 p.m., about nine minutes after the execution began. Inside the execution room with Nelson were individuals identified as U.S. Marshal, two Bureau of Prison Officials, and spiritual advisor Sister Barbara Batista of the Sisters of Providence at St. Mary of the Woods. Most notable was the fact that Pamela's mother and sister were both there to witness the execution of Nelson. 
Following the execution, CNHI News reports that Sherry West, Pamela's mother, stated, quote, What happened to Pammy was just horrible. She suffered a horrible death. She also said she felt guided by her daughter to fight for Nelson's death. I feel at peace now, and I feel that Pammy's soul is at peace and that she can rest. That was my number one goal, to give her justice so she can rest. I think she was always behind me and guiding me to keep fighting, and that's what I've done." Unquote. According to Reddit, in 2018 at an Amencio Lansdowne sentencing hearing, Sherry West said, quote, I'm not an evil person, but I do pray every night Cassie haunts you in your dreams. I have no forgiveness for a person like you. She later said she wasn't surprised that Lansdowne said nothing in response, calling him a coward. Unquote. Thanks again for tuning in to Crime Happens. All episodes are researched, written, recorded, and audio mixed by me. Crime Happens is available on Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, and others. Please follow or subscribe wherever you listen. If you like what you hear, a five-star review would be helpful. You don't even have to say anything. Check out my website at crimehappens.com and be sure to follow me on Instagram at crime underscore happens. I'll be back very soon with a new episode. Until then, I wish you well.